You realize that I asked you really easy ones, right? When I was in seventh grade, I wrote a letter to Southern Comfort. Kurt, I'm going to ask you to name the eight vegetables in V8. The more you play with it, the harder it gets. With a name like blank, it has to be good. The most famous advertising campaign of all time. You sound like a vodka martini drinker, Kurt. Urban legend, apocryphal statement, or truth, John? <laughs> John, what was that? It was just getting my voice ready to record. Sounded like you were kicking us off with another episode of Smart Drivel. You're Kurt Schneider. I'm John Ellenthal, and this is a new episode of Smart Drivel. Welcome, everybody. John, I think this is one that our fans, the drivelers, as we call them, will be very excited about because I think they will have many opinions. I think today we're going to discuss famous slogans and mottos. What do you think? I think the only reason you threw in mottos there at the end was so that you could name the episode, What's the Motto with You?, which I know you're very proud of coming up with. So this is really about slogans, but we will throw in a couple of mottos so that we can justify the episode title. So slogans, Kurt. So uh, slogans from our youth, slogans from a long time ago. There was one that I came across, which probably wouldn't work today, but it was when it first came out for a vacuum cleaner like Electrolux. And the slogan was, nothing sucks like an Electrolux. (laughs) Actually, that would be pretty good today because it's harder and harder to stand out with your ads. So you you might as well be bold. Then there's this one I came across from the 70s from Sega. You know Sega? Yeah, the video games. Yeah. The more you play with it, the harder it gets. (laughs) You know what? I I wish I had played more video games as a youth. All right. Or there's this one I found, too, from Uzbekistan Airways. Good luck. Oh, my God. Would you fly in an airline whose slogan was good luck? No. Does good luck perhaps translate into something different in Uzbeki? I don't know. All right, so Kurt, I'm going to play a little game here. Not a Sega game, because apparently that's a filthy double entendre. I am going to give you the slogan of some well-known products, and you are going to tell me and our listeners what product that slogan represents, okay? I will ask you five, and then you will ask me five. I'll give you an easy one to begin with. It'll okay. build your confidence. I need that. I need my confidence built. We all do, Kurt. We all do. The world can beat on us pretty hard sometimes. Okay, Kurt, the quicker picker upper. Of course, Bounty. Remember that lady from those commercials? What was her name? Cora in the diner. Was it Cora? And there was always a big spill and she just sucked everything up without using Electrolux. Not like Madge who said, you're soaking in it now, dear. That was or Madge. Was that, was that Palmolive? Yes. Okay, we're one for one. By the way, who would want to soak in dishwashing? And she used it in her salon. I think the point was you needn't worry about the impact of the dishwashing liquid on your hands because it's good enough for you to soak in. Okay, Kurt, we bring good things to life. Mm -hmm. We certainly do. Oh, you want to know who it is? Yes, please. Yes, that would be Kodak. No, but I'll give you a hint. They were the last of the original companies on the Dow to fall off. GE. You are correct, sir. Please tell me what product 
was represented by good to the last drop, Kurt. Maxwell House, John. Again, correct. Now, while you're in the middle of this, we're just going to take a little commercial break, which is funny. And we were talking about when I said Uzbekistan Airways, good, good luck. luck. And you said, was there anything there in translation? Well, I was in advertising as a young man out of college, and there was a story, whether it's apocryphal or not, it's a great story in marketing, which shows how dumb people can be if you just take something in your language and try to translate it. I believe I know what this story is. Okay. Is this the story, Kurt, of the Chevy Nova? Yes, it is, John. So tell us. Chevy Nova, of course, is a car. Was, was. Was a car, and Fuzzy Wuzzy was a bear. And Fuzzy Wuzzy had no hair, but when they brought the Chevy Nova to markets that were Spanish-speaking, Mexico, for example, it didn't sell all that well because Nova means doesn't move. Doesn't go. That would not be a great way to sell a car. Nope. Excellent, John. Boy, we spent too much time watching TV as kids, I guess. No question about it. Okay, Kurt, I think I've given you three. Reach out and touch someone, not Sega. I was just going to ask you the exact same one. That would be AT&T, of course. But do you think that could fly these days? I think so, because I think while everything can be a double entendre, and these days probably a triple entendre, not everything has to be imbued with the worst or most inappropriate definition. Now, among our listeners, of course it does, because they revel and dribble. They're drivel revelers. So I would expect them to do that. I think the height of advertising is to be punny, right? Is to to try to have the play on words. Well, I think the height of advertising is actually to deliver a message that actually lands and is remembered by the audience in the hopes that it changes their behavior. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult to break through and get noticed. And there's an old expression in advertising that By the time the advertiser and the agency are sick of their commercials, there's only beginning to get recognition of it in the marketplace. So it takes a lot of repetition to get that message through. All right, Kurt, when you care enough to send the very best... Yes, what about that? I would like you to tell me what product that represents. I remember that as a kid. When you care enough to send the very best, you are sending a Hallmark card. Correct. You're very good at this game. I could see why you pursued a career in advertising and then left it. Well, you know why I left it? Why? I was on the account side. And by the way, we've talked in the past about how I would have liked to be in the late 40s. In the late 40s in New York, the height of marketing was advertising because companies that produced products did not have in-house marketing, right? They were people who just did sales and manufacturing. So all of the marketing was to the ad agencies. They had a lot of power. By the time I got there, the power had been diminished because all the clients had in-house people. And you were really good if you were a copywriter or an art director because they were the the creatives. I was neither. I was neither. I understand that when you're on the account side, you're not part of the creative team and you're not part of the client's creative process. You're just making sure everybody is getting what they need and setting and resetting expectations endlessly. So let me ask you a bonus question, Kurt. Because you did so well. Your bonus question, Kurt, is what product is represented by this slogan? Have a Coke. By the way, is it true that Coke did have cocaine in it? I think in the original formula, I think that is to use your word before, I do not think that is apocryphal. I think it was even used as an elixir or a remedy of some kind. And now I kind of understand why people would recommend it and would take it. I bet you back then the 
compliance with a doctor's prescription was higher in cocaine-based medicines. I think you would maybe also want to have a couple of them. Oh, okay. One of the greatest... Schaefer is the one beer to have, Kurt, when you're having more than one. That's what I was going to ask you. I didn't even get to say it. That's why I said it. I'm <laughs> on fire. One of my favorite slogans of all time. Schaefer is the one beer to have when you're having more than one. And then they shifted into, hey, we're in Schaefer City, like great seats at the ballpark. But that is not nearly as good as Schaefer is the one beer to have when you're having more than one. Well, uh, let's stick with beer then, John. What beer company had this as their slogan? It doesn't get any better than this. Tonight, let it be Lowenbrow. No, Lowenbrow. Nice. It no, doesn't get we... any better than this. I would like a hint. Okay. It's really bad beer from the Midwest. It's not Miller beer. It's Bush beer. No, Bush beer's not bad. We would pay $26. I was thinking Midwest. I mean, don't get, you don't get more Midwest than St. Louis. Was it a Wisconsin beer? Yes. I'm now searching my memory for Wisconsin. His nickname, it was so bad. It's, nope. Its nickname was so bad, it was Old Swill. Old style. Old Milwaukee. Oh, what's wrong with me? I even said a Wisconsin beer. So what was the slogan for Old Milwaukee? It doesn't get any better than this. That's called hallowed advertising or puffery. That's, that's big puffery. I guess I missed that one. It's okay. I want to tell you this other one, which is more of a motto, but I came across this and I thought this was the height of irony. Are you going to ask a me a question? No. We're in the middle of my quiz, Kurt. Okay, I'll go back to your quiz. And this is, I think, one of the most brilliant ads ever for the time it ran. It was a print ad. And the print ad said, the headline was, ever see a grown man cry? Mm. You realize that I asked you really easy ones, right? This is one I could, I would have gotten like that. Prove it. What product is represented by ever seen a grown man cry? Crown Royal. Okay. It's Canadian whiskey and it's a broken bottle. And that's the ad is a uh, broken bottle of Crown Royal. And it's a, and the headline was ever see a grown man cry. I thought it was brilliant. My father did not drink Crown Royal, which is not to say he wouldn't. His go-to drink when I was growing up was a Canadian whiskey. It was Canadian Canadian club on the rocks with a splash of water. That was his go-to drink. What was your dad's go-to drink? Beer. And there was this, at the time, in the 70s, you could buy a mini keg for your refrigerator of Falstaff beer. Falstaff so named, by the way, after the Shakespearean character who's always drunk. Falstaff beer. Man, and you're deep. He put it in the fridge because my father, as we've talked about, always loved tap beer. What's on tap? Always. The problem was, one day I said, Dad, how come you're not buying those anymore? He said, because I ended up drinking too many beers. Because every time I walked by the fridge, I thought, ooh, I could have a beer on tap. And I wasn't thinking about how many I actually opened. So Falstaff beer. In fact, my dad used to buy cases of Schmidt's beer for $4.50 a case. Schmidt's. I remember Schmidt's. Schmidt's not bad beer. Schmidt's and all of these beers. Is mindless drinking something that runs in your family? <laughs> You've heard the uh, cocktails episode. Well, you're quite mindful about it because you describe with such detail and care and nuance and finesse and subtlety the joy of making a great gin martini. You don't do it mindlessly. Okay, how about in the double entendre area? Are you still asking me questions? Yes. Okay, good. It takes a licking and keeps on ticking. Timex. Yes. 
So remember those ads? They'd find them like the bottom of like the ocean or the bottom of Mount Everest and they'd be cracked, but they'd still be ticking. I think they ripped that off from Samsonite when they would throw like the Samsonite luggage into a cage with an ape and it always, always came out. What was their slogan though, Samsonite? Do you remember? Throw it into a cave with apes. Yeah, you probably were on the account team because the copywriting team didn't want you. Do you know, when I was in seventh grade, I wrote a letter to Southern Comfort. You ever heard of Southern Comfort? Well, you were the average age of their drinker, so that was appropriate in the seventh grade. <laughs> you were about 12, 13, right? In my flannel shirt and corduroys and Timberlands, yes. And I said to them, I have a, a slogan for you. You should, around the holidays, come out with Southern Comfort bringing tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, of course, being a song from Christmas. And they thought it was terrific. And they sent me a t-shirt because I was not old enough to get anything else. Again, more evidence of why you were on the accounting at the ad agency. Bringing tidings of comfort and joy and your name is Southern Comfort? It's fantastic. Why as a seventh grader were you coming up with jingles for Southern Comfort? Well, I guess I answered my own question. It was probably the average age of their drinker. It dates back to my Boy Scout days, but that's a different story for a different time. Have you had Southern Comfort since you left your teen years? I hope not. It was kind of gross. Okay, are you ready? Oh, yeah. Okay, you have to fill in the blank here. I could have had a... V8. Yeah, what was good about that? What was good about what? The ad. Why was it so memorable? Because you knew it right off the bat. I think the commercials were really good. And I like, I guess when people were banging their head, maybe the visual added to the slogan. Kurt, I'm going to ask you to name the eight vegetables in V8. Easy, John. To you, you will not get all eight, Kurt. Tomato. <laughs> well, you started off easy. Okay. There is indeed tomato in V8, which looks a lot like tomato juice. Celery. Two. You got two. Did I say tomato? No. Okay, tomato. Okay, you said that before. Oh, green pepper. That is incorrect. Or peppers are in there. Okay, no. No okay. peppers. Eggplant. Do you mean aubergine? Oh, no, we're not across the pond. We're in the U.S. No. Onion. Okay, you've now struck out at least once. Shallots. No, I'm going to give you the answer now because this podcast, we try to keep it between 20 and 30 minutes. As you pointed out, tomatoes, which of course, V8 is mostly tomato juice, carrots, beets, celery, lettuce, parsley, spinach, and the one I was sure you were not going to get, and it should have been the six I was sure you were not going to get, is watercress. I like watercress, but John, let us move on. <laughs> ah, let us move on. Hey, Kurt, what was the Sega slogan? The more the you, you play, play with it, the harder it gets. What if they somehow merge with the Yellow Pages who used to go by, let your fingers do the walking? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, John, here's with a another... Name like, with a name like blank, it has to be good. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They took their weakness straight on. Yeah. In a very impressive way. Yeah. I applaud I what they did. It, with a name like Smuckers, it has <laughs> to be good. I like it. Okay, so I'm going to give you another slogan, and I'm going to just leave out the brand name, which is the first name in there. Blank is good for you. Wow, I don't know that one. That doesn't ring oh. a bell at all, Kurt. The most famous advertising campaign of all time, Guinness is good for you. Okay, and if what you're makes in you say that is the most famous 
advertising campaign of all time. Because if you ask any soul who's walking in England or the British Isles, including Ireland, North and South, they will know that Guinness is good for you. Is the, And you know what else is interesting about that? They claimed that Guinness had iron and that's why it was good for you. In fact, again, urban legend, apocryphal statement or truth, John, you could get a prescription from your doctor, take it to the local pub and get Guinness for free as prescribed as part of the National Health Service. That's a lot like drinking Coke as a remedy. So these are really good marketing hooks to make your product a medicine that's, that gets prescribed. I will tell you that I'm not surprised that that is well known in Ireland, where I spent part of my honeymoon, because I think we had Guinness for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Fantastic. And it's, and it's delicious. I mean, those people know how to pull a Guinness, you know? I don't know how Great. good they are at Sega, but they can pull a Guinness. My great-grandparents split a bottle of Guinness every night before they went to bed on City Island in the Bronx. The other thing I'll tell you about Guinness, very interestingly, is that in England, right, not Ireland, England, they've been drinking Guinness forever. The Irish, the people, representatives from the Guinness Brewery Company about 20 years ago went over to London and they did a test and all of the taps become corroded. And so the Guinness that came out was not the Guinness that the brewers wanted. And so they said, you can't drink it this way. And they put in what they called Guinness cool or cold Guinness. And that was the typical one. Guess what? The English didn't like it. They liked their old one. And so if you give me those corroded pipes and tubes. And if you go to a pub now, you'll get Guinness extra cold or Guinness. And they're both on tap and you can ask for each one. I'm going to give you another one, John. Is it going to have anything to do with growing up here in America? Yes. I'd walk a mile for a... Marlboro? Oh, my God, John, the most famous advertising campaign ever. How many times are you going to say a different product is the most famous? This was the most famous line for probably 30 years in American advertising. I'd walk a mile for a camel, John. Okay, I got the right category. You did, but there's a big difference between Marlboro and camel. Were you more of a Joe Camel guy or a Marlboro Man guy? I see you as a Joe Camel guy. Not at all. In fact, Charlie Connerly, who was a quarterback for the Giants in the 50s. Correct. Was one of the first Marlboro men, believe it or not. Also correct. That was excellent trivia. You have lived up to the promise of Smart Dribble with that statement. That is a sort of a quintessential, who would need to know that? But you're kind of happy you do once you know it, especially if you're a fan of the New York Giants. All right, so Kurt, it takes a tough man to make a tender chicken. Yeah, Frank Perdue. Do you think he was related to Frank Carvel? (laughs) No, Frank Carvel was Fudgy the Whale. Did you ever have Fudgy the Whale? Are you kidding me? All the time. Did you ever have Fudgy the Whale while you were playing Sega? (laughs) How about this one, John? And this one I've mentioned in a previous podcast. I mentioned it because I wanted it to be my high school slogan. My brother gave this to me, and I made the mistake of mentioning it to Andy Heckler, who took it. So my brother used it later on for his med school yearbook. They sometimes have in med school? Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. don't. Almond Joy's got nuts. Mounds don't. Kurt, did you not realize at that age in high school that you were living in an allegory and that a friend named Andy Heckler was going to do you wrong? Yes. If his name were Andy Goodman, you could have told him. But how could you tell a guy named Andy Heckler what you wanted to put in the, in the yearbook? Am I making sense to you, Kurt? Fun trivia. Andy Heckler was on Ally McBeal because he wanted to be an actor after college. 
And he was in the episode where he was dating Allie and he was this good looking guy, but he had salad dressing all over his mouth the whole time. She was going to be an actress and I was going to learn to fly. Oh, Name the God. song. I'm so sick of Harry friggin' Chapin. That is uh, a okay. okay, let's stop you right there. You have just blasphemed. There is no reason for you to have hate and vitriol toward Harry Chapin, who was killed in a car accident at the age of 37, driving a BW rabbit on the Long Island Expressway. And he sung beautiful songs, Cats in the Cradle, Taxi. These are beautiful ballads. I want to learn a love song, which is the story of how he actually met his wife. What is wrong with you? I'll tell you what's wrong with me. His songs are so ridiculously sappy. They're not even of an era. Like they're maybe they're frozen in time in the 70s. But boy, talk about not if someone says Fletch and Blazing Saddles don't stand the test of time. And you're telling me Harry Chapin does. Kurt, his songs absolutely stand the test of time. He was authentic. He sung about real people and real things. He didn't have a great voice, but he was still entertaining. And look, let me tell you, you know what you sound like right now? You sound like a vodka martini drinker, Kurt. A vodka martini drinker. I like singer-songwriters. I do. And people always say to me, oh, my God, the songs you make me want to slip my wrists. Listening to Harry Chapin makes me want to slip my wrists. Listen, this hotel chain used to say, we'll leave a light on for you. But based on your comments about Harry Chapin, I would call them and tell them to turn the light out for you. What was that chain? Motel 6, of course. That is correct. Tom Odette. Tom Bodette. Yeah, who does a lot of things on NPR. He's very funny. There's a song that people think when it comes on, they sing it and they're having a great time about singing it. And they don't realize that the song is actually about a son and how much he hates his father. Now his father's ruining everything for him. I'm talking, of course, of Sunshine by Jonathan Edwards. Sunshine, go away today. Don't feel much like dancing. It gets people all excited. If you listen to the words, it's about his father who's, you can't even run your own life. Why are you going to let me run mine? Doesn't that suggest, Kurt, that words are overrated, are an overrated part of communication because you have the music and the musicians and the instruments and all that beautiful sound that the words are simply not the overriding concern of the listener. I was once told that, and of course, this is an overgeneralization, of course, but that women listen to the words and men listen to the tune. I don't know why you would think that would be an overgeneralization. But listen, I think there are lots of songs that people enjoy. And when they stop and really listen to the words, they're like, oh. Did you ever watch Donald Duck in Math Magic Land? I don't remember doing it. I don't think I needed all of these extra helps like you did learning math. I think I just sort of got the math. How'd you know that's what it was? I don't know what was what. Donald Duck and Ma- oh, Math Magic Land. Yes. I don't know. So, I don't know how I could have possibly figured out. It's and, the same way that you would probably figure out who the advertiser is behind. How do you spell relief? R-O-L-A-I-D-S. How did you know it was Rolaids, Kurt? Donald Duck and Math Magic Land. It was about a billiard table and Donald Duck was playing pool and he was showing the angle of where the ball went. It was geometric. What was the breakfast of champions? Wheaties, of course. Bruce Jenner, before he was... What year did he win the decathlon gold? Was that 80? Nope. 76 in Montreal, John. That was the same Olympics where we had Sugar Ray Leonard? Yes. That was the same uh, Olympics that Nadia Comaneci got a perfect 10 and ended up on the cover of Sports Illustrated? Yes. And Time and Newsweek in the same (laughs) week. A very long throwback to an early episode. 
Was there ever anyone who won the Olympic decathlon and pentathlon gold? I assume you're asking me that question because the answer is yes, and you know who it was. Yes. And the king of Sweden, because it was in Sweden, the Olympics, said to him, you, sir, are the greatest athlete in the world. And then he got his medals stripped from him because he was a poor Native American who had played a couple of games of single A baseball in North Carolina and got paid about $3. And he got stripped of his Olympic medals. I'm talking, of course, of Jim Thorpe in the 1912 Olympics. Okay, John, we need to wrap this up. But I want to ask you, if you were to have your own advertising slogan or motto, what would it be? I think I'd go with smart dribble. We (laughs) promise the dribble and hope for the smart. Wow. I'm going to have to think about that. Kurt, do you have one in mind? So there is one that I've had. I've been using it a lot lately to sign off emails. And it's something that I think in this day and age and what's going on, it's a good one to have. That would be onward and upward or the New York State motto or Excelsior. Pretty much echoed by Buzz Lightyear to infinity and beyond. They all mean the same thing. So I think you've made a good point that Choosing something that reflects the moment and not just ourselves is a good idea. So I'm going to go back to the beginning of this country and go with e pluribus unum. What does that mean, Kurt? Out of many, one. Now, do you think that's been on our currencies from the very beginning? I think in God We Trust was not added onto our currency until like 1945 or something crazy like that. According to the U.S. Treasury, which is the party that would know this, Back in 1795, pretty close to the beginning, the motto e pluribus unum was first used on U.S. coinage. Probably could also go with the one that everyone got excited about out of watching Robin Williams and Dead Poet Society. That is a great one. Carpe diem, seize the day. And on that note, we're going to seize the day and let our drivelers rest. We are done with this episode. I just want to say that we would like all of your thoughts, because I'm sure there's many slogans and mottos out there that are funny, or don't stand the test of time, or all-time classics that we miss. So let us know, everyone. All right, John. And our slogan, as you promptly and properly said, is we promise the drivel. And hope for the smart. Thank you, everybody. Kurt and I will be back next week with another new episode of Smart Dribble. Thank you for joining us. I'm John Ellenthal. Carpe diem, everyone. And he's Kurt Schneider, and he's talking Latin for some reason. Goodbye. Goodbye.